You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes. And even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Welcome back to the GFR show. I have a guest today that I can pretty much guarantee after you listen to his story that you will be changed in some way. I am deeply changed and, you know, (laughs) the universe seems to bring me the right show guest to interview at the right time for me personally. And sometimes I I laugh because sometimes I feel like, is this all just for me (laughs) and not for you? And really what I know is that it's both. And of course, that aligns with my philosophy around soulful business and mission-driven, heart-centered entrepreneurs is that our work contributes to our healing. And then that healing contributes to our work. And you can hear much more of that in our Unmentor themed episode. We'll put a link in the show notes. So our guest today is Mr. Rodney Flowers. And I met Rodney because he's one of the facilitators of a program that I'm doing to learn more about my unconscious racial bias. And I waited a little to invite him on the show because I, you know, I saw him on our Zoom meetings and he's quite handsome. And I just, I don't know, I was a little intimidated. And I told him that (laughs) in preparation for an interview in the green room. And uh, we had a, a fun connection around that. And what I didn't know about Rodney was his backstory, which is highly unusual for me because most of the people on the show I know in some way, or somebody recommended them to me because of their story. And so that, you know, sort of the whole connection to the guest is usually because of their story. But with Rodney, it was this, you know, my experience of him as this facilitator, and I knew he was a powerful speaker. And, you know, I assumed he had a powerful story, really, I knew he would. But y'all, oh my gosh. So due to several circumstances, I didn't read up and study up on prepare for my interview until hours before. And I'm reading his story and I am having a full body chill moment because at the time of the interview, my mom, Phyllis, 
was and still is actually recovering from spinal surgery as a result of a car accident. And I go to read Rodney's bio and learn that age, at age 15, due to a violent incident on the football field, he became a quadriplegic and was told he would never walk again. And he worked at it for 18 years and regained the ability to walk. And I didn't know that (laughs) when I booked him and it just was one of those synchronicities that is undeniable uh, if you believe in all that, which I do. So I can't wait for you to get to spend time with him and hear more about his story. We go into some great detail about what that experience was like for him as a 15 year old. You know, he's like 45 now, I think. And how that has impacted his business. So he is now a world-renowned orator and motivational speaker. And his mission is to serve an example of what's possible and to teach others how to develop a mindset of resilience to conquer any obstacle, overcome limiting beliefs, and achieve personal, professional, and business goals. Would you listen to a man that's been through that experience talk about resilience? I sure would. To me, that is the he has a credential that is priceless, and I just am so thrilled that he did the work and chose to live and chose to grow and walk so that he can contribute to others in such a powerful way. So I want you to think about during this you know, interview, could you keep going if the thing you enjoy doing the most in life was taken away forever? Could you keep going? It is something that I have been contemplating a lot with my mom, who is also an athlete, and the inner journey that she is on because of her journey now. And it's just something really beautiful to think about. So without further ado, here is Mr. Rodney Flowers. Rodney Flowers, welcome to the GFR show. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having (laughs) me. Happy to be here. I am so happy to have you here. I have admired you from afar (laughs) for a while. Uh, I shared with our listeners that I met you through the unconscious racial bias work, the deep dive work that I've been doing and that you've been one of the facilitators and participants of that. And I like noticed you. It's like, I feel like I'm talking about a crush. It's like a professional crush. I've noticed you, you know, <laughs> make me blush here now. <laughs> <laughs> I <wish> I could. <laughs> yeah. I, you definitely just have a way about you, which they will soon come to experience as well. Just like a softness and a silkiness about how you flow. Like, I feel like if you could float, if you'd be, if you could float, you would be, which is, Probably It's probably an interesting comment considering your story, which they will soon hear. So it took me a little while to ask you (laughs) to be on the show, but I'm so glad you said yes, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, thank you for asking me, and next time, don't wait so long. All right, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm blushing, and it will be obvious. Okay, so I have said many times that I interview that sometimes I feel like the show is just for me and that I interview the guests that I need at the time that I need them. Mm -hmm. And so, right. So part of your story is a story about some 
pretty major thing that you went through with your body. And right now, my mom, as this is being recorded, is recovering from spinal surgery as a result of a serious car accident and is a really, you know, it's obviously a, a, a struggle. You know, it's a, it's, or I'm characterizing it as a struggle. It's a, it's a significant thing that she's walking through that the family is walking through. And so can you share with us a little bit about who you were before this life-changing thing happened to you and kind of, and who you were in that young person's body and kind of like, what was success to you? What was motivating to you? What was meaningful to you? And obviously we're going to do a snapshot of those things afterwards as well. But I would just like to kind of get a picture of, of the before, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a very athletic guy, number one. Um, very active. I worked out a lot and I still do. And uh, I love football. That was my jam. And that was my thing. I was a sports guy and uh, football was my number one sport. I ran track, tried to play basketball. I wasn't really good at that, but football was like my, my, it was my heart. I fell in love with, with that game, probably around 13, 14 years old. And so the kind of guy that I was, was, you know, I was typical teenager, you know, I was bad boy. <laughs> I, really, I really would. If my mom was here and she could explain the type of person that I was, it would be a little colorful. It would, it would really be a little colorful. What would she, she would say? G- give me just one sentence mama would say. Well, I, well, I'm hardheaded for one, you know, don't listen. She would say, I, I drink too much milk. She would say that because I, <laughs> I would... <laughs> She was buying milk and, and, and buying food all the time. And I think I, I worried my mom because I was, uh, you know, I, I wasn't afraid of too many things. I didn't have any trouble with drugs or the, or the law or, you know, anything like that. I wasn't that type of kid. But I was curious and I liked, I liked girls, you know, and I still do, you know. And that got me in trouble quite a bit when I was, when I was younger. But I was I, I was focused on my goals. You know, that's that's one thing my grandmother had instilled in me. I was raised by my grandmother until I was about nine years old. Hmm. My grandmother instilled in me a work ethic that is still very much alive and well today because we grew up on a farm. So there was a lot of work to do all the time as a young as a young guy. And my grandmother, you know, she was divorced and me living with her made me the man of the house, even, you know, in my single digit years. Right. So, yeah. And she, you know, she took full advantage of that manipulation. You know, she had me <laughs> out there, you know, doing all kinds of things. And I felt good about it. Cause I felt like I was the man of the house, but it taught me to work. I felt good about working. I felt good about it. at the end of the day, you know, she and I would, would accomplish something with the farm and with just taking care and cultivating all of the things that we needed to do, you know, to take care of the farm. And it was great. I mean, we had horses. We had uh, not horses, but we had uh, chickens. She had pigs. And where was the farm? Where did you, where did where was the farm? It was so. It's it's a town that you probably never heard of in North Carolina. You know, uh, Rayford, North Carolina. Is okay. Where I grew up. Yeah. Okay. You don't blink when you go through Rayford. You, <laughs> you might miss it. <laughs> you miss it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I was an active kid with dreams, hopes, and ready to be an adult before I, before I got hurt. I couldn't wait to be an adult. As a matter of fact, my uncle had given me a, uh, a red Mustang. It wasn't a 5.0, but it was Mustang. It was candy apple red that he had. Wow. It was 84. 
And so I had this red Mustang sitting it in my It goes yard. with your gir- with the girls. It goes with the girls. I guess so, yeah. Well, <laughs> the funny thing is I never got the chance to drive that car because I was going to ask you about that. Because of my injury, yeah. So that that part of my life I missed. Um and it was interesting cuz things were getting very interesting right before I got hurt. And so sometimes so? I wonder. You know I'm going to ask. How uh, so? Well, you know, I just I tell you here's a story. So the day that I got hurt my cousins. So I had, I grew up with, uh, it was about, I don't know, six of us, six or seven, maybe eight. But anyway, I was the only guy. Ah. So all of the rest of the grandkids were female. <laughs> and so females have friends. Yeah, so at 15 do. years old, I was very curious, <laughs> very curious. And uh, right before the game that I got hurt in, my cousins were coming to, to get me because they was having this party and, and whatever. And, you know, I didn't even know anything about it. And so they were coming to get me. We were going to go, you know, have have a good time at this party. But I got hurt. And so I didn't get to go. And so there was a lot of things that were happening, you know, with the car, with, you know, just, you know, possibilities. You were to get your license when you were 16? Is that, was it? I, I just got my permit, Lisa. See, okay. the thing about it, I had just got my permit. I know. My daughter just got her permit. We're like right in that period of time. So I Oh, I man, that's the, that's the time of your life, man. You're like, yeah. no, that's a stepping stone. Like one more step. Yeah. And I, and freedom, you can you start to smell the freedom. <laughs> uh, wow. And so, you know, but, you know, when I look back at those moments, and those feelings, it's like, man, I didn't get a chance to, to do those things. And at different points in my life, I felt like I was missing out on something. But as I got older, I realized I think I was saved, honestly. I think oh, I was, I think okay. I was We're definitely going to come back to that. We're going to come back to that. So, <laughs> so you have set us up beautifully for... <laughs> Stay tuned, y'all. No. <laughs> you have set us up beautifully for this young man and and Rodney, the candy apple red Mustang, waiting for him and the party with your cousins, friends, and just all of that really coming to life at that point. Sure. And so tell us what happened. Well, it was first game of my sophomore year in high school. I'm, I'm 15 years old, just turned 15 two weeks ago. And I'm lined up on the right side of the field. We're kicking the ball off to start the second half of the game. And oh, by the way, it's been a great game. We're just performing really well on the field. And we're leading. I don't remember the score. They just didn't have any points. And that's all that mattered. We had all the points and they didn't have any. shut down. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, we're we're leading this game. We're shutting shutting them out. And, you know, I run down the field, kick off the second half of the game. And I remember I wanted to make a play. That's what I wanted. I wanted to make a play. So my idea was, hey, I'm going to run down this field. The kick returner is going to catch the ball. I'm going to hit him as hard as I can. I'm going to make him fumble. Boom. But that didn't happen. I went down. He went down. But I couldn't get back up. Mm. So it's the most scariest thing, Lisa, because when you're, when you're in that moment, when I went down, you know, my brain could still process how to get up. Right. So in my mind, I'm feeling like I can get get up up. (laughs) and my body is not moving. My body just would not move. And that was the scariest thing. But at that moment, I knew something life changing was was happening to me. And I Mm -hmm. began to cry. And, you know, I began to think the worst. You know, people were running out on the field to my side to assess what was going on. And all I could do was shake my head back and forth. And I was frantic. And they had to tell me to stop that because they knew something 
was terribly wrong. And so they, you know, they put me on a gurney, you know, rushed me to the hospital. And I remember being in the ER room, I'm lying on my back. They're cutting these, this gear off me. They, they're using these huge shears, like, you know, bush cutters, bushwhackers to get this stuff off me. And I remember looking up at my, at my dad and I'm, and I'm, I'm looking at him. He's looking down at me and they're starting to evaluate me. And he's trying to be cool. He's trying to, you know, like, it's going to be okay. And, you know, he asked me, he said, hey, Rodney, can you feel that? And I said, feel what? He said, they're cutting the bottom of your feet. Your feet are bleeding. And I couldn't feel it. So I obviously, I freaked out. They realized that my injury was too severe to treat at that regional hospital. So they put me on a helicopter, rushed me to Duke Medical Center. They ran more tests, put more tubes down my throat. And then the next morning, you know, just as the sun was beginning to shine through the window of the intensive care unit, a team of neurologists visited my bedside to deliver my prognosis. And my prognosis was paralyzed from the neck down. And I was going to be a vegetable for the rest of my life. It was not you couldn't have surgery or like, 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 like they had, they evaluated to the point where they felt like they couldn't repair it in any way. I mean, I just, I went through this literally three weeks ago, Rodney, with my mom, literally. It's funny because yeah. we asked the same thing. Like, you, you guys can't do surgery? Like, can't you fix this? And so the response was, you know, there's a lot of swelling in your spinal cord. There's so much swelling on your spinal cord that there's compression. Like your spinal cord is literally compressed against the bones in your spinal column. And so if we were to do surgery now, it will cause more damage to your spinal cord. And so the best thing to do is, you know, pump you up some steroids, some medicine that would make the swelling reduce and wait it out and see what happens. But we don't think even after the swelling goes down that we would do surgery because at that point there wouldn't, there would be even less of a need to do surgery. And so what I had was a contusion. I bruised my spinal cord and there was nerve damage from the initial hit as well as the swelling because there was compression on my cord for an extended period of time and there was nothing they could do to stop that without causing further damage. Their prognosis was there was nerve damage beyond repair. And so given given the assessment ability that I was showcasing at the time, which was barely any movement, there wasn't the expectation that I would recover because of the swelling and because of the damage that occurred to my spinal cord. And so the plan was to begin to prepare for life in a wheelchair. That was the recommendation from the doctors. Wow. 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 Yeah. I'm processing so much as you're talking because this was kind of fresh for me. And my mom was brought into the ER. She could move her left side, not her right. They knew that there was a spinal injury, didn't know about surgery, didn't know anything, you know, and you're kind of like at the mercy of what they think, you know, what what they think, right? And this is now 28 years ago that we're talking about. So there's been some medical advances since then, we hope. Yeah. Um, But gosh, right? So there's this 15-year-old boy who had sort of 
as they say, all things going for him, who is now told that he has to get used to living life in a wheelchair. And it wasn't just a wheelchair you're talking about, you know, literally, you know, I couldn't push a wheelchair. Right. You're talking right. about an electric chair with one of those little joysticks that you operate, that you use to operate. That's, that's what I was in. That's, that's yeah. what I used. And, those, and I, those things you blow into that I've only seen on TV that my mom now has to use as a call button in the hospital because she can't use her yeah. hands. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was really bad. I remember being in the hospital and it was funny, you know, it was one thing to have a spinal cord injury for me. I can't speak for everyone. But the most difficult thing for me was to use the adaptive equipment at the time. And it was because, you know, I was used to being so independent, used to being yeah. so active. And so it took a lot of getting used to, but it took a lot of humility as well, because one of the things that was so debilitating to me emotionally was when I couldn't turn a page and they created this apparatus using a pencil and a mold took a mold my mouth and then they took that mold and attached it to a pencil and I used the eraser you know I put this mouthpiece in my mouth with had which had an, a, a pencil attached to it and and I would turn my head from side to side and <sighs> I would attempt to cause the eraser to catch the page and as I turned my head from side to side the eraser would catch the page and turn the page for me in the book. And I finished school that way. I finished school that way. Wow. Well, I finished that year of school that way in a bed. You know, they would prop me up in a bed and a book on a table and bring it up to my face. And that's, that was my life. And that was very, it was one of the most humbling <laughs> experience, I, experiences, I, I, yeah. man. It, was, it just broke me down. It was, and that's what the, it, and, and, you know, as a football player, you carry a lot of confidence. You have to, you know, and that broke me. That was the thing in my life that sort of brought me to my knees. And it built me back up, which I know we're going to get into. But at the time, I didn't realize that. I just thought that, hey, life is unfair. This shouldn't happen to me. You know, I'm a football player. I'm strong and. I should be able to bounce back from this was my mindset, you know, like now or find a medication or do a surgery, do something Some, do to get me something. back on my feet. Cause this is not the life I chose. This is not how I envision my life. No, but yeah, that's, that's what it was for me. Do you remember <laughs> choosing to live? Like, do do you remember I know the lowest of the lows is wanting to die. That is the lowest yeah. of the low. Do you yeah. remember getting to the point when you chose to live? Yeah. So I went through multiple iterations of that, but one of the stories, and I talk about this in my book, Get Up, was a little while after I was released from the hospital. I was still using this huge electric wheelchair, which I could barely operate. And there was a lot of other things among just using that pencil to turn the page that I had to do that were very personable things, man. Things that I wouldn't ever think about having to do, especially at 15 years old. Maybe when I'm older and I'm, you know, 115. Yeah. Okay? Right. It's expected. But I'm 15. And 
I haven't even turned 21 yet. Like I haven't, I'm not, I don't even have a legal, like I'm not legal yet. Can I make it to 21? Can I feel what it feels like to be legal? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so I uh, had all these things that I had to, to deal with on a regular everyday basis, like clockwork. And I, I didn't feel human. I felt like a, I felt like a machine like that you had to maintain or else if you didn't, it would just break down and it would just go away. That's how I felt because some of the things I had to do, if I didn't do them, it could cause complications that could kill me. You know, autonomic dysreflexes, one of those things for those medical folks out there that want to look <laughs> that up and see what that is. It was a, it's a very dangerous thing when you're dealing with your blood pressure. And there were certain things that if I didn't do, it caused my blood pressure to rise. And if my blood pressure stayed high for an extended period of time, whenever I did what I needed to do, it could cause it to go so low that I could die. And I had to think about this stuff. Like, you know, I had, I went from not having to worry about like being free as a bird. Like the worst yeah. problem I have is my mom telling me, no, I can't go to the skating ring to now, like, you know, having to stick to this schedule of personal things I got to do to my body. And so I'm only saying that Lisa, because that was like devastating to my mind. Yeah. And I remember one day, like being done, giving up. And we lived on a highway in a cul-de-sac near a busy highway or busy street. And I, you know, got my mom, (laughs) my family put me in my little electric wheelchair. And I said, I'm just going to go for a little stroll. I'll be right back. So I went around the corner to this highway and this little curve and this little, little street. And I knew that, Hey, there's 18 wheelers burling down this, this road, you know, all the time. And if you were to step out in this curve, there's no way, if you did it at the right time, no way this 18 wheel is going to stop. It, it just doesn't have the time to do it. It's going to hit you. Or it's going to do something else that's it's going to cause some, some pain for someone. And I said, I should just, you know, roll my chair out there at the right time and just get this over with. And I had contemplated doing that days before because I knew me I couldn't move I'm like even if I wanted to do something like that how can I do it when I can't do it I can't I can't even well, like, and lift that just, yeah <laughs> I mean it's it's funny but yeah <laughs> it would be this would have been much funnier a month ago but it is it's it's yeah like you want to die but you can't even fucking kill yourself I can get any lower than that you know it's like yeah and so the only thing that stopped me from making that decision was the fact that I could I don't know possibly somehow survive that and be in worse condition than I'm in. Ah, okay. And I thought about that. Like, yeah, what if you swerved and it missed or it didn't hit you the way you thought? Or I don't know. Any anything. What if you just like jacked, like you're already jacked up, but what if you're like jack, 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 jacked up and you're still alive? <laughs> <laughs> what if that happens? Cause this sucks. That's gonna like suck, 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 suck. Like that's gonna be really bad. And I don't know. And I, and I, and I felt like, you know, doing that would be the easy way out. Mm. It's just a cop out. Like you don't, you don't win. Well, it's interesting so that's when that I, you even had that wherewithal to say well, that that would the be thing. the easy way out. Like there that's was the com- still that fighter, that, yeah, that, that's that the bad boy was in there somewhere. <laughs> the competitive side of me sort of rose up that day and said, you lose, you lose, bro. You lose, you lose. You get rid of all possible chances of recovery. Like, we know what you want. You want to get back out there on the field. You want it to be, it's all like COVID. Everybody want to go back 
to where it used to be. They want to go back to the way it used to be. That's what everyone wants. And what caused me to live was the fact that, well, you won't ever see that. You won't even get close to that if you do this. Like, so there was, there was hope in you somewhere. Somewhere. That it wouldn't always be that way. Or it could be better. It could be somewhat better. better. I, you know, like I wanted to walk. I wanted to get back on the field. And the doctors were still. No, that, was, that wasn't. Yeah. There was no hope there. I tell you what, on my way back, after making that decision, what I was thinking about is the possibility. Mm. The possibility of, I don't know what it was, but it, it was something like I was looking at, you know, what if tomorrow was better than today? What if, mm. like, what? Th- those were the questions. And I remember lying on my bed that same night, and I tell you this story all the time. You know, I was crying, I was in pain, but I wasn't in physical pain because I didn't feel anything. But I was in emotional pain. I was hurt. And I was asking myself, like, why are you hurting? What's wrong? Why are you hurting? And the reason why I was hurting is because I felt like not only did I lose my ability in my body, I lost my life. I lost that vision. I lost the possibility of what life could be the way I seen it. Right. We all have that vision. We all totally. have that, we all have that idea of what it's gonna be, you know. And I lost that. And I felt like I didn't know where to go. There was so much uncertainty in my life that it caused chaos. It caused pain. It caused, I felt lost, completely lost. And I was hurt over that. And I began to ask myself a couple of questions. And it was funny because I was, I was kind of comical with myself because, you know, I'm in pain. And I was like, you can't feel anything. So why are you hurting? It? And I was like, <laughs> like having a conversation with yourself. Like, yeah. yeah. And so that conversation caused me to get real with myself. And the reasons why I was in so much pain, obviously, is because, like I told you, I, I didn't have the life that I thought I was going to have, I had something different. But I started asking myself, well, what if this? What if you did something? Like, I know what the doctors can't do, but what if you did something to make things better? Because I had a bad attitude at, you know, you know, we didn't, we haven't talked about that. I was upset, mad at the world and everyone in it. And I was difficult to deal with. And with all the things that I had to do, you know, every time someone had to do something with me, it wasn't pleasant for me and it wasn't pleasant for them either. And I told myself, like, what if that was just better? What if you smile? Because I hadn't smiled in, I don't know, a long time at this point. And we're talking, this is maybe a year or so after the accident. What if you smile? What if you worked a little harder in therapy? What if you made some progress towards, you know, the doctors and the therapists wanted me to work on starting, you know, life in a wheelchair, like how to be independent, you know, how to, you know, do stuff with your mouth and how to dress yourself with your mouth, undress yourself. I'm like, what if you did some of those things, even though it's devastating, it's debilitating, it's horrible, you don't like it. But what if you did it and you found some sense of reward? some sense of success, some sense of progress, would you feel better? Would some of this pain that you feel and go away? And the honest answer was yes. So I started asking myself other things that I was doing. What if you tried to feed yourself? What if you tried to do this? What if you tried to do all these other things? You know, using these adaptive equipment that made me feel like less of a person and all this stuff. And so I started doing those things. I started saying yes to those things in the bed during this process. And I just kept going because 
that felt better, but it didn't feel good. (laughs) (laughs) And so I kept going until I started to feel those things that felt good, like walking again, like getting some sense of normalcy. And I said, well, what if I did that? How would that feel? Because you got to go through all of this stuff that we're talking about here in order to get to that. Right? What if you did it and you got all the way there? You're walking. And I was like, that would be great. As a matter of fact, if I bounced back from, from this, man, that's better than playing football. That's that's, that's better than going pro. Wow. That's better than go- and I'm and I said, that's going pro. Like that is equivalent wow. to going pro. You were like the, thinking like taglines in your head at, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking like the impact that you would have. What would your life look like if you did that? Like I, I know where you are now, but what if, well, however long it takes, you actually get there. If I bounce back from this, it would be better than going pro. Better than going pro. Wow. That, I mean, that's like a epiphany. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was an, an epiphany and it was a, it was a fire and a drive that it sort of, it was a spark because at that point on, I said, I'm going to be that guy. That's the guy I'm going to say yes to. Wow. I'm going to be that guy. Wow. You know, and uh, I love hearing everything that you're saying. And of course, as the universe would have it, you know, I am reflecting on my own personal experience and my mom who is an athlete and a fighter and any, I mean, my mom has been to my events and my speaking gigs and she's hugged thousands of people that, nice. you know, we've been to conferences with and, nice. you know, I posted asking for prayers and there's like 300, you know, replies, your mom's a fighter, you're all these things, which is totally true. And I just love hearing you connecting to your tenacity, your hard-headedness, as your mom would say, and applying it to that situation, right? Like finding Mm -hmm. a new, like it's a heat-seeking missile, you know, and Mm -hmm. it just hadn't like really landed on the thing, you know, that it hadn't landed on the current application. So I just, I love hearing how that landed because yeah, it was like such a powerful choice. Oh my gosh, I feel like I could just talk to you for hours because I'm just, it's just amazing this, what you've been through and that 15-year-old boy, right? So we're, we're still with that 15-year-old boy and I'm, you know, sitting across from this man who has been walking for 11 years. It took you 18 years to get 18 years to walk again. And that has been the life that you've been living for 11 years. And so that young man says, what if tomorrow was better than today and begins to embrace the idea of walking again would be better than going pro football. Yeah. Um, and it took 18 freaking years. And you didn't yep. know that. Like if someone said to you, it's going to take 18 years. I can't even imagine that. So, and I also know fast forward to today that like your work, your life purpose was I don't know if you'd say a hundred percent, but largely impacted by this experience that you've had, you know, your, your whole thing is about resilience and tenacity and, and, you know, that game changing mindset and all those things sound so hokey, but then you find out that by the way, the man that's telling you this took him 18 years to learn to walk again. And now I'm really listening, which is why I love this show is because I really listen to the people that are on this show because they've been through it. So I guess, 
I want to like turn it to you is like, where do you want to take us from here? You know, given the time that we have, I, I really do want to get a sense for, you know, some of the pivotal points along that journey and your, you know, how your identity evolved along the way. It started with vision. I mean, you, you talked about the game changer mentality. That's where it started. I didn't realize it was starting at that point, but I made a decision that it didn't matter how long it was going to take. I was really committed to living that life that I seen. And it's funny what you will do when you don't have any other choices. Mm-hmm. So for me, I had nothing to lose and everything to gain because hey, the doctors weren't going to help me. There wasn't a cure. There wasn't a pill. There wasn't a procedure. And so I felt that I would have, hey, I don't know if I was going to go pro to the NFL, but I was going to give it my best shot. Most people don't go. But I knew that I was going to go somewhere. I was going to go to at least go to college, perhaps get a scholarship to go to college and see what happened from there. I was a great football player and the show isn't about that. And so I was willing, knowing that I had that opportunity, I was willing to give myself the opportunity to experience somewhat of a life equal to what I was going to get or experience as that football player. And so one of the things, you know, I talk about this in my book is we have to give ourselves the opportunity of possibility. And so that was a, that was an inflection point for me because that's, that's what made me make up my mind that I'm going to be that guy that goes after that vision. So I had a vision, number one. And number two, I was willing to commit to that vision for the possibility. I didn't know if it was going to happen, but I was willing to put in the work, put in the effort, be determined for the possibility of it happening. And in order for that possibility to happen, even for that opportunity to present itself, I had to change. Not the doctor, not my mom, no one else, Rodney. And that mindset made me go for those 18 years. I would have went for 20 years. I would have went for 30 years because of that possibility. Did you get resistance from some people around you? Yes. I got resistance from myself. I got resistance from other people that, you know, seen me working and seen me feeling bad when I didn't accomplish a goal, seen me trying to walk when I'm, you know, I still get out here and I walk now, Lisa. Like I walk with crutches. So let's, let me just make sure everyone is clear. I don't walk without crutches. I still, I walk with crutches and walking sometimes is difficult. Even now, I'm 43. This happened when I was 15. You know what I'm working on every day? Walking with one crutch. I am still in the pursuit of the vision. If you don't have a big enough vision, you're not going to work this hard or this long because it doesn't have that meaning to you. So the meaning for me is not just for me. Like I, you know, I live a decent life. I do. And I'm striving to walk again. And the reason why I'm striving to walk again so hard is because, yeah, I want to walk. Everybody wants to walk. Everybody wants to live, you know, be healthy in their body. I want to do that. But I understand it's bigger than that. I understand the opportunity that I have been gifted with, with this injury, is to demonstrate to people that you're going to accomplish anything. And if you create a vision and you pursue it, even when doctors are telling you no, even when society says no, even when there's resistance, like, take the moonshot. That's my <laughs> message. Take the freaking moonshot. Because if you don't make it, at least you'll be among the stars. Sometimes we shoot too low. 
We go after things that we feel are achievable. I don't do that. I'm going to set my sights on things that most people are going to think are impossible to do. But I've been doing the impossible ever since this accident happened because I'm not supposed to be nowhere near like the recovery and the amount of function and mobility that I have that was not part of the game at the time. I made it part of the game. And it's because I took the moonshot. It's because I had a vision that was bigger than my circumstance. And so that's what happens. Sometimes we get into these situations and we play to the level of the conditions in the game. We don't play to the level of the goals or the dreams or the possibilities or the ideas or the creativity or the determination or the resilience, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. Play above the level of the conditions in the game. That's where you. Have, that's where the juice is. That's what's gonna. That's what makes. I get out of my bed at 4 o'clock every day. Go to the gym. Work on this every day. I work out for like three hours every day because I'm in that pursuit. I'm in that hunt. I know what that vision is, and I'm not gonna let that go. And I'm not gonna let my current circumstances dictate what I can accomplish in the future. My motto. What if tomorrow is better than today? I got to give myself that opportunity for tomorrow to be better than today. So what am I doing today? What did I do today? If I want tomorrow to be better, what am I going to do today? That's the game changer mentality. Woo! <laughs> Preach. I just feel like I went to church. <laughs> You're something. You're definitely something. <laughs> I'm something. You are something. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so you are a motivational speaker in many different arenas, African-American arenas, sports arenas. When did that start? Like, yeah. did you have a career before that that you, you know? No, no. I was 15. <laughs> right, right. No. <laughs> I mean, it, no. yeah, I'm just, it's like, yeah, I'm curious. When did you begin to embrace from a yeah. professional or career standpoint, how this yeah. is impacting your life? So how can I explain this? I always had the idea or the vision that I was going to walk again. That's just the crazy faith and belief that I had. And I had great people around me that programmed my mind that that was possible. And that is key. I had people that would tell me, you're going to walk again. Don't you worry. You keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. They'll pray for me. I believe that I was going to walk again. Some, Is somebody. there anybody that said that at the time that later on said that they weren't really sure that was going to happen, but they like just no. were trying to encourage you? Okay. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. But I have, I've had people say things that you can tell they're not, they don't genuinely believe. Yeah. They don't, yeah. they don't want, they don't want to hurt your feelings. Yeah. But that wasn't these people. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Right. So when it happened, I finally was able to get out of the wheelchair. One of the things that I did was I wrote a book about it. I went back. I gathered all of those moments as much as I could. And I compiled it into a story, into a book. And I released it. And it became an international bestseller. And that was part of my legacy. But I remember when I told you when I had that vision, when I was lying on that bed, it wasn't about me. Yes, I'm living it. I'm doing it. 
and there's a chapter in my book what I when I when I talk about what happened to me wasn't for me. And a lot of times we think a lot of things that's happening to us is about us. It's not about you. Same, the same book that you get that yeah. you've been talking get about. Get up. Yes. Get up. Yeah. That was the book. Yes. And how old were you when you wrote the book? 24. I was 24. So it took you about eight years to get out of the wheelchair. No, it took me 18 years to get out, out of the wheelchair. Okay. Because you said when I got out of the wheelchair is when I wrote the book. So I, yeah. I thought that. Okay. No, 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 no. The, the, the book was written after I got out of the wheelchair. wheelchair. Okay. So I, I got out of the wheelchair 18 years to get out of the wheelchair. And I, I was about two or three years later. So my book came out in 2016. So it's it about four years later. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so that was like the first, like that was, and, and <laughs> the, that was yeah. your first, like, this is going to help other people. Like I'm yeah. going to use this to help other people. Well, that's why I wrote the book. That's when, you know, and that was, so part of helping other people was, you know, that was part of the journey all along. I said to myself, like I made up in my mind that what was going on for, with me was not just for me. It was for me to inspire. So when I was, you know, I, when I started working towards getting out of the wheelchair and started recovering and I, I developed this attitude that this isn't going to stop me. I'm still going to overcome. I'm going to be independent. I'm going to do. And that was inspiring for people. They could, they could see that, you know, I mean, you got to think like, I was continuing to go to school. I was continuing to get degrees. I was continuing to do a lot of things. I mean, lift weights. I went back into the gym. I started lifting weights. Once I started getting, you know, function back. And then just to get to that point, some of the things that I had to do, like walk every day or, you know, like we skipped some things in the story, but there were times when, you know, I had my neighbors would come over and they would just stand me up on a walker. I could barely stand up. I couldn't stand up on my own. And we would just work on me just standing there. Wow. They would have to literally block my knees with their with their hands and arms. And they would let go and see if I can hold it. And I couldn't hold it. I mean, we went, we went for months and I just couldn't do it. But that was doing, that was conditioning me. That was doing something to my, you know, the, the spinal cord is plastic. You probably heard that the brain is, is, is you know, neuroplast, neuroplasticity. Yeah, that's that happens with your spinal cord as well. You never so, had a surgery or anything. This was this no, I never had a surgery on like I had a surgery on my spinal cord to remove like compression. Later on, they found that there was mm. I had a vertebrae that was compressing on my spinal cord. Later, it was like two years after the accident, and another five and a half years after the accident, several MRIs, and so I've had those types of surgeries, but I never had a surgery. Hey, we're going in to repair your spinal cord, so and you're you going to walk be great. again. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> Yeah. Never had that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And just just picturing your neighbors coming in and supporting you with this ritual. Yeah. It is really interesting to glimpse the life of someone who from early inception was, first of all, going for getting out of pain mentally, right? We so much associate physical pain and, mm-hmm. and our, and we are so conditioned at all costs to get out of physical pain yeah. and to acknowledge the gravity of the mental pain and then to be in pursuit of relief from the mental pain um, for a 15 year old young man to shift from the focus on the body to the mind and then to be on that trajectory 
for 18 years to ultimately be able to change other people's mental pain and the way that you have is quite inspiring. Well, honestly, Lisa, what you've just described is my advantage. Love that. That's my superpower. <laughs> and, you know, I, I walk out on stage and I tell people, you know, they look at me and they judge me and say, you know, you see this guy, you know, in a wheelchair walking with crutches, you know, yeah, society calls me handicapped, disabled, but I tell you what, I have an advantage over all of you. <laughs> all of you, dis- all of you able-bodied people in here, I have an advantage over you. <laughs> you know what that advantage is? I've been in a place where I had to focus on using my mind. It's a beautiful contrast to really embody. And I'll just share something from my own personal journey. So I talked in the beginning about how we know each other from this unconscious racial bias work. And one of the big pieces for me was uh, my realization of my own unconscious bias around anti-fat phobia that I that I had and my own internalized fat phobia and towards my own body. And I, a couple episodes before this one, I released one called fuck dieting where I share about a decision to, to no longer try to control the size of my body and just to let myself be and to, to really focus on changing the way that I'm thinking about it and feeling about it. And the really the literal anguish that that Mm -hmm. had created and my body grief coach called me an ableist about a month ago because I was so in judgment about how different this body moves that's bigger than the other body that I had previously or have had previously, how differently she moves and just feeling like crap about it. And she said, well, you're ableist. And I was like, like, you know, kind of like felt a little bit slapped across the face, but like woken up, you know, slapped in the waking up kind of way because it's like fuck yes you know I'm feeling less valuable because my body can't move the way that it moved before and because I'm super flexible and now I don't feel as flexible and you know then looking at my mom struggling with the physical part of her world being so different than it was before her accident and so I just I'm just treasuring this time that I have I was going to say sitting across from, because that's kind of what it feels like doing this interview where we could see each other, really sitting across from somebody who, although you had a huge focus on changing your body, you know, walking again, your mind was more of what you identified as who you are and that that was enough, like to, to have an inner world that was in pursuit of a physical outcome, but really, and the day to day, it was the mental outcome. It was the, that you achieved. I just love you say that it's an advantage that you have. I just fucking love that. Well, you know, so I've heard someone say that at all times, the mind has the tactical advantage, (laughs) right? So you have to conquer it in the mind first. If you conquer it in the mind, the body will follow and everything else in your life will follow. But if you really think about it, you know, everything that you you do, you do or you don't do, like sort of like the, the situation that you just described, it's it's the mind playing on you. Because if you're feeling like me, use myself as an example, I felt less value. 
you know, it's funny, you know, you and I, we're in this diversity process right now with the EBC. And not many people know this, but, you know, I had some thoughts and ideas about individuals in wheelchairs before I got hurt. Mm. No one knows that. I haven't talked about that on, on, on the air, but that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about diversity and inclusion. Yeah. And inclusion so this would be a con- the confession part of the show <laughs> where you are sharing something that you haven't really shared widely. Yeah. 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 Because I, I didn't, I didn't want to like when I see individuals in a wheelchair and it wasn't younger people, it was older people when I seen this, but I'm like, man, my God, you know, it looked look broken or they look, how can they enjoy life? How can you, how how do you love yourself? How do you how do you feel about being alive? Like I I don't know if I would want to be alive if I'm in that situation. I had these thoughts. I feel like I'm 15. Yes. I didn't know any better. I thought the yeah. same about fat people. How can you live in that body? How how do you aren't you ashamed? Don't you have no self control? Like you, how can anybody take you seriously? And of course, I'm thinking all these things about myself. Who wants that? Who so wants what? to be with? So yeah, yeah. And so I uh found myself in that situation. <laughs> and then I found myself fighting mm. for life, fighting for something more than what my mind had portrayed it would be mm. to be in that situation. And then feeling sorry for myself for having felt that way before, just mm. being ignorant, like not knowing. And that was a lesson for me. And it still is a, it still is a, a humbling experience. And I realized that we put these labels on things because we don't understand how to identify with something. For example, when you see someone in a wheelchair, it's easy to say, well, they can't move. It is, they're disabled. They're handicapped. But that's not handicapped and it definitely isn't disabled because if that was disabled how am i able to do everything that i've i've done how was i able to bounce back from an injury that it probably should have killed me like i probably shouldn't be living right now because mm-hmm. of all the complications that comes with my level i, mean, I had a c5 c6 i had a high level like christopher reeves i was only one vertebrae short from not being able to breathe a lot of complications but yet I'm still healthy and strong. I mean, I, I work out every day. I, I run, you know, I get on my elliptical and I, and I, and I run, I, I accumulate miles in a week, you know, several, <laughs> several, several miles in a week. I do this. I lift, I lift weights. I do push-ups. I do all kinds of crazy stuff. So how can I do that? If I'm classified as the same, because there's able-bodied people that have their don't do that. Shit. They don't do that. They can't <laughs> no. do that. They couldn't no. keep up with me and my workout. They couldn't keep up with me and my walk, just, just the walking. They couldn't keep up with me. <laughs> and so we have it wrong, right? It wrong. And then I feel like if you don't know how to control your mind when you're in dire situations in order to give yourself the self-talk or to create a vision in order to see opportunity in uncertainty, to be able to handle those types of situations in order to better yourself, in order to pry instead of to break down or to see yourself as less or to not realize the power that you have inside of you. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's your mental power. And it comes in your ability to see what's possible and then pursue that. 
create the energy around that and then govern yourself according to that energy in order to produce a result. Like when you don't have the ability to do that, we might want to start classifying that as disabled. Not because, you know, you're a disabled character, because that behavior is disabling you to progress. Yes. Like a disabled mental processing capacity. <laughs> yes. 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 Rodney, this was such a delight. Such a delight. I could talk to you for such a long time. And the timing of this conversation literally, literally within 30 minutes of our conversation, I found out that my mom needs another surgery. And I could feel myself spiral. I could feel the spiraling, you sure. know, and this just completely gave me a different, energized me, gave me brainwashing that I needed. And uh, I'm, I'm so grateful. Yeah. You know, and, and thank you for that. Thank you for that, even that opportunity just to talk to you about that. And I just, you know, since we're on the air, I just, I just want to say, you know, there's other people that may be going through things that are listening to this. And those things are tough. I get it. You know, one thing that I believe in as a result of going through this experience is if you are alive and breathing, and if you're listening to my voice, if you can hear my voice, that's you, (laughs) you're going to face adversity at some point in time in your life. The thing that we all have in common is we're going to face resistance. We're going to face opposition. That doesn't matter whether you're black, white, rich, or poor. We're going to go through those things. I believe if you're if you're alive, then you're you're on the field of adversity. That's what I call it. It's a field of adversity in life. And we're on that field. And resistance is going to show up. There's a lot of harmony out there. There's a lot of goodness out there. Like you can score, you, you can reach your goal, but you got to navigate the resistance in order to do that. What we want is a, a field with no resistance. Nothing ever shows up. But you got to understand if that happens, you don't grow. There's no development. Life is bored. Imagine if everything was just good all the time. <laughs> it would really be all, all We all think we want that, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and so these things that happen for us in life, it calls us to action. What, I, what do I mean by that? It means we have a choice. We can look for, we can identify all the things that's negative about it, all the things that sucks, and we can put our attention on that. Or we can focus on, hey, what what is there for me? What can I get out of this? What can I gain out of it? What's the goodness of it? And look for the smallest little thing. It doesn't have to be anything big and extravagant. Sometimes we get a little greedy. You know, (laughs) we're not thankful for the smallest little thing. Like, maybe I got to spend a little extra time with my mom. I got to do these things because of. And if that situation wouldn't have come up, what you call a resistance, you wouldn't have had that moment. For me. If resistance wouldn't have showed up as big as it did, I wouldn't be this guy. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have that mindset. And I wouldn't have impacted all those people that I've impacted and those future people that I'm going to impact. It was because of that resistance. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the mindset that I had and that I have in that resistance because that's what changed the game for me. Beautiful. Ah. Uh, thank you, Rodney. I am going to listen to this one. I'm going to play it for my mom. <laughs> it's really just for my mom. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm super grateful that whoever 
finds themselves listening to this, that I got to help you tell your story again and share an aspect that you haven't shared before. And um, you're just beginning in, in terms of the impact that you're going to make. I could feel it. In the thank world. you. So thank you. Appreciate it. I was right, wasn't I? I mean, oh my gosh. I just, I am changed as a person now that I have spent this time with Rodney and I trust you are as well. And if you're not impressed with this man enough, his free gift to my audience is a free one-on-one coaching call with him. I mean, (laughs) that is amazingly generous. So there is a link directly to his schedule to get that call booked in our show notes. And if you resonate with him at all or feel like you need to work on your resilience and tenacity, he is your man. And for those of you in the GFR squad, we got some goodness for you. Ronnie and I recorded a bonus training called Have Compassion for Yourself. The juice is in the process. (laughs) And he has some really good wisdom. And you know, it comes from a deep place around this. And it's something that I'm working on, self-compassion, because with the caring for my mom added to my life, I am needing to be more efficient. And then I can also get overwhelmed. And I'm just having to just dig even deeper with my compassion and my love for myself. And I am, the juice is in the process, y'all. So Uh, If you're in the GFR squad, go over to our squad quad Facebook page and that training will be posted in there. And if you are not in the GFR squad and you want to hang out with us once a month on our community confession call where we use one of the GFR commandments as a theme, please join us. I would love to meet you. It's such a great way for me to hang with our listeners. Um, And of course, you can do that at gfr.life forward slash squad. And then also make sure you've gotten your copy of our GFR commandments. That's a free download. And that link is also in the show notes. All right, subscribe so you don't miss any of these amazing freaking stories, and I will see you next time.